And so I could never become, uh, you know, a ministerial servant because I was on the radio and the elders would tell me, well, that, you know, you're worldly. If you're on the radio, you're worldly and no, uh, you can't become a ministerial servant. Hi, this is Lady C. Welcome to The Critical Thought. In the upcoming episode, we're going to be interviewing a radio personality from WJZD Radio, a former Jehovah's Witness that has been tuning in to our channel for the past couple of years now, and he is now ready to come out and share his story. Jazz and R&B in the afternoon on WJZDRadioDetroit.com. I've got to say hello to everybody checking in. I made some brand new friends in Washington, D.C. Got to say what's up to uh, JT and Lady C. They're in touch with me this afternoon. Hey, thank you for listening, all right? You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. And I would like to welcome Kyle Lamont. Welcome, Kyle. Hey there. Thanks for having Detroit, me. Detroit in the house. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Detroit in the house. Did I get those call letters right, WJZD? It's WJZD Radio Detroit. So, you know, if you go on the uh, on the web, you can just type in WJZD Radio Detroit. You'll see all us. Right. The app is there if you do it on your phone or if you, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you, you'll see it. All, all right. right. So we're going to give a shout out to that, to that station because what we want y'all to do is we want you to check out Kyle Lamont yes. on WJZD Radio Detroit. That's because it. he's spinning those tunes. And Kyle, what's the time that you're going to be on there on the air? I'm, I'm on every day uh, from 2 until 6 in the afternoon. So it's uh, Monday through Saturday. I'm not on on Sundays, but uh, Monday through Saturday, you'll hear me on from 2 to 6. And, and we play a lot of jazz. And we also play, well, I call it cool jazz and sophisticated R&B. That's what I call it. So, All right. Uh, All right. You got the afternoon drive. Not that kiddie afternoon music drive. stuff. Uh, right. <laughs> right. And, and I understand drive. And I understand that you used to be with WJZZ back in the day. So anybody that's, you know, in the audience that's from the Detroit, Michigan area, then, you know, this is uh, Kyle Lamont who used to be on that radio station because we really missed WJZZ as well. Yeah, they they bit the dust, and uh, yeah. <laughs> like a lot of the jazz stations, I noticed that you know. Yeah. So uh, they did, uh, but no, I was also on FM ninety eight, which is WJLB. I was on Mix ninety two point three forever. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, so you know, I've I've been up and down the dial. I was yeah. uh, telling JT earlier that I did the Quiet Storm on like three different radio stations. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's, wow. that's, you know, that's that's they that's what they call that grown and sexy music. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> I, well, Cal, we want to welcome you to The Critical Thought, and we thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to be here to talk about your experience. Yeah. And so you want to just kind of start off letting our audience know what your experience is and how you became one of Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah, well, you know, I was I was born and raised in the organization. Uh, I believe I was a pioneer at birth because my mother was a pioneer. She was a regular pioneer. And uh, the stories that she would always tell us is that, uh, you know, from the time I was a little kid, she, you know, I was out in field service with her. So uh, I guess I had the pioneer spirit when I was, you know, first born, I guess. <laughs> all right. Way all to right. go. That's pioneer spirit. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. So when you were in the um, pioneer, you know, when your mother was pioneering, do you remember how many hours she had to get? Or has that been too long for you? No, at that time, she had to get 100 hours a month. That's okay. it. That's 100, you know, and uh, then later on, I guess it went down to 90 and then yeah. it went down to About 70. 70 yeah. What was it now? 35? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, with, co with, with COVID, they've been told, just do what you can. Just do what, do you, what can. you can. Right, right. And we'll take 15 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I mean, they, they, they have, man, they have just, it's, it's become a joke now. The counting of time for witnesses has become a joke. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very sad they they had a they had a part on the summer convention of two elders having to sit down with a sister who wasn't making her time and she was depressed. And then all of a sudden they just dropped basically all the time together because now you just let the brother know I talked to somebody and they they'll continue to count you as a publisher. So this whole time and we did a couple of videos, real good videos, we think, on how the time came about and everything. But like you said, your mom. And I remember those sisters, man, 100 hours a month. 
hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So so Cal, you want to give us a little bit of background when you what was your you want to just tell us a little bit about your experiences and what you're going to think about being a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, you know, born and raised in the organization, and and I really thought it was the truth forever, and you know. you know, as I, I was growing up, I think I got baptized when I was 12 or 13, something like that. And uh, I used to to pioneer in the summertime uh, auxiliary. Pine- well, I think they called it part time pioneering. I, I can't oh, remember. What, it was, it was, it was, they just called it vacation. Vacation. Vacation, vacation pioneering. Right. Vacation right. Pioneering, I, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then it changed to auxiliary or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, we I, I would do that sometimes. But uh, but no, I uh, I tried to stay with the organization. I thought it was the truth. And so, you know, uh, one of the things that happened with me, and it happens, I think, with a lot of uh, uh, witnesses, they get married real, real young uh, for obvious reasons. I mean, you, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old and your hormones are doing whatever they do, and as a witness, that's not good. So you end up getting married real young. So I got married, I think, when I was 19 years old. Wow. Which was a a, a serious mistake, (laughs) to say the least, right? So, um, you know, but, you know, we we tried to, you know, be that young couple. And I I found out later on, you know, after I had been disfellowshipped and reinstated and all that kind of stuff, that I guess my wife and I at the time were the, uh, we were like the celebrity couple that everybody thought was supposed to just, you know, advance in the organization. I know my, my first wife, she was uh, a regular pioneer. And, uh, and so I was expected to become a ministerial servant. Um, but the problem was that I was on the radio and that's what I really like to do I, all my life. I wanted to be on the radio. That's just me. That's what I like. And, uh, and so that was always an issue. And so I could never become uh you know, a ministerial servant because I was on the radio and the elders would tell me, well, that, that, you know, you're worldly. If you're on the radio, you're worldly and no, uh, you can't become a ministerial servant. So that was something, you know, as one of those carrots that they were just dangling in front of me. So I have to quit the radio station if I want to be a ministerial servant. Um, you know, so that went on for, for a long time, but, um, you know, and eventually I did leave the radio station, uh, but not because I wanted to be a ministerial servant. I left the radio station because they changed formats from, uh, you know, playing R and B music. So I did quit the radio station and the circuit overseer came and he was so happy that I quit the radio station that they appointed me ministerial servant, like, you know, that next visit. And, uh, you know, so I did become a ministerial servant and, you know, whatever. But, um, but I, you know, I think a long story short, the 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 time that I was married to my first wife, it was like a very, very dark time in my life. It was, you know, I was miserable because my wife had been raised, you know, as a witness herself. But her her father was he was real abusive to his family, his wife, the kids, everybody. And that must have, you know, affected her because then she was very abusive to me. And so for that you know, period of time, even though we were trying to reach out and, you know, you know, more stuff in, in the organization, it, I was miserable and I was trying to figure out a way out, but I still thought it was the truth. And so I just had a dilemma, you know, and, uh, and, you know, after getting, you know, like my wife, she would try to beat me and she would throw stuff at me and she'd be mean and evil. And, you know, and it was so miserable that eventually I, I did have to leave her. And that's when I got this fellowship when I when I left her. And, you know, so that that's kind of what happened. And I still wanted to get reinstated. I still wanted to, you know, be part of this organization because I did think it was the truth at that time. Yeah. You know, that that's a great point. As, as they say, hurt people often hurt other people. But let me ask you a question. I mean, what right. did you do that wound you up being able to get not just in a radio station, but actually on the air? Well, you know, um, I, you know, I always wanted to be on the radio, and it's interesting because when I was 12 years old, I used to to take a record player and a tape recorder, and I get a microphone, and I'd introduce the records, you know, on, and I would tape myself, and you know, that was when I was 12 years old. I just knew that this is what I wanted to do, and uh, and I remember one of the elders back then saying, "Oh, you're not all that great. You're just worldly. You're just worldly. You're not you're not good. You're you're worldly." 
So anyway, that, that and that was like when I was 12, 13 years old. But anyway, when I got into high school, they did have a co-op program going with one of the radio stations. It was actually an all news station, 24 hours a day. So I was what they called a board operator. I was able to get in and I would be the person that ran the control board for all of the announcers that were on the air. Um, and so from there, I was able to just move from that radio station to another and to another. I ended up at, uh, at a station, a WGPR here in Detroit, 107.5. And it was, uh, uh, there was a guy on the air at night that, uh, Lady C, you might remember his name. He was Electrifying Mojo. I don't know if you remember Electrifying yes, Mojo. Yes, indeed. I remember <laughs> he would fly in on his uh, sponsor yeah. at night. I this is Electrifying Mojo. Traveling space and time in search of a tiny star in the milky way galaxy called Earth. yeah i remember you know so he would come on at 10 o'clock at night and i was the board operator between 7 and 10 when they were playing this gospel stuff you know and uh and so at 10 o'clock he would come on the air well one night at 10 o'clock he didn't show up he got really really sick and uh and so the program director said, well, you're there. You just go on the air yourself. And so I filled in for Mojo that night. And that was the first time that I was actually on the air, um, you know, at a radio station. And after that, anytime somebody was going to be off, they'd call me immediately. Hey, hey, Kyle, come and fill in. And so I just became the fill in person. And then from there, I just went on different radio stations. When you were growing up, how did y'all as, as a witness kid, what did y'all do? Did y'all have any, you know, was that any, was that anything significant about being part of Motown, the city of Motown for, for y'all as witness kids? Well, not in my family anyway. Um, you know, you know, my, my father was an elder. He, you know, he, he was an elder early on when I was young and my mother was like, you know, really, really hard nosed into the organization. So we didn't do a lot in terms of recreation or anything like with uh, Motown or, I mean, I don't even think we went to Greenfield Village, which is a lot of, you know, which is just something that everybody does when they're, you know, here in Detroit. Um, actually, you know, as, as a kid growing up, <clears throat> excuse me, what we did actually, you know, on Tuesday, we had the book study at our house. We were the, the you know, we had the book study there. Wednesday, we had the theocratic ministry school and service meeting. So we had to go to that. And then on Thursday we did at the time they called them back calls and then they changed it to re return visits. So we had to do that on Thursday on Saturday mornings. I didn't get to watch cartoons because we had to go out in field service. And then on Sunday, if we had the morning meeting, then we would go to the morning meeting and then go out in field service afterward. Um, and if we had the afternoon meeting, we'd get up and go out and field service first, then go to the meeting. So everything was, uh, you know, revolved around the uh, organization. And I do believe on Fridays when we weren't doing anything with the witnesses, then that was when we actually had our family study. So everything was witness. Well, we didn't do anything else. That, that was it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was one of those things where if, um, like on Saturday morning, if I didn't, if I was sick and, and I couldn't go out in field service, then I couldn't watch cartoons. That's you know? right. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. And then you can't watch cartoons with, with mom. Everything was wrong. I mean, everything was wrong. You, you can't do this. You can't do that. I, I remember uh, when I was in high school, um, I think I was in the 10th grade or 11th grade. I think I was 11th grade, you know, going to be a senior that September, but I had a, a scholarship to go to UCLA for the summer. It was a six-week summer program. All expenses paid. They were going to pay airfare, room and board, uh, everything, and, and the tuition. Uh, and it was for a computer, a computer science program or something. It was a summer program. And, and Dad said, yeah, you should go. Uh, by that time, Dad had left the organization. He wasn't in the organization at that point. Uh, but mom just had a fit. No, you, you know, you're going to miss the district convention and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so she didn't want me to go. And I remember my high school computer teacher. He said, look, if it's that big of a deal that you have to go to the district convention, don't they have one in L.A.? And I said, yeah, they should have one at Dodger Stadium. And I looked it up in the magazine. They used to list everything, you know, and uh, 
And so I was, you know, I said, well, yeah, I can go to that one. And mom was like, no, Jehovah wants you to go to the one in Detroit at the Silver Dome. She doesn't want you to go. Uh, I mean, Jehovah doesn't want you to go to uh, Dodger Stadium. You weren't assigned to that one. So you have to go where Jehovah tells you to go. So um, so then the uh, <laughs> so then, you know, my teacher was like, well, look here, if you have to go to the one in Detroit, then I'll pay your airfare to come back for that weekend and your airfare to go back to to L.A. so that you can, you know, so everything was going to be paid for. And then she got the elders on me and the elders was like, no, that's going to be you're going to be around bad association. You're going to, you know, e everything that's bad is going to happen. And so I I made the decision. I didn't go. And so I had an opportunity to do that when I was like in the 11th grade. And, and I didn't take that opportunity. You know. Yeah, that that's that is so common um, in this organization. Opportunities are laid out. And that's why I tell whenever people start throwing stuff up like education is expensive. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, most of the witness kids I know, man, they they was looking at full they was looking at full scholarships. Right? So don't, oh, don't don't so please stop talking about education is expensive when you got somebody who is so smart in your kingdom hall that they can get a full ride. Man, shut up. Right. And so because right. <laughs> right. witnesses always, when you talk to a witness about education, they're always looking for a reason to make an excuse as to why people shouldn't go. Um, but yeah, man, you 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 join a very long, noble list of Jehovah's Witness kids <laughs> that didn't take an opportunity that they had. I, I know. that is yeah. amazing. So yeah, when you were amazing. when you were going to school, so you're doing radio and you're good at computers. Well, wow. I guess I was then. I'm I'm not so good at computers now. You let my son tell me that <laughs> like I know nothing about computers now. But that would have been the entry point for you though. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See what I'm saying? You would have got yeah. into the ground floor, you'd been doing that COBOL programming and all that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You know what so, I mean? No, like, you know, know uh, Kyle, you mentioned that your father had left the yeah. organization. So you want to give us a little bit of backstory on that? Well, yeah, because he was an elder um when I was when I was young and uh at, at that time, <clears throat> they they had like, you know, about the ju judicial committee. I don't know how many people know what the judicial committee is all about. But when somebody does wrong, you get these three elders together and they decide whether they're going to disfellowship you or not. Well, anyway, <laughs> at that particular time, the judicial committee would be what they call the congregation servant, I believe. Mm -hmm. service, the, the service committee. Yeah. Right. And then you had. Well, it was three of them. It was like the congregation servant, then the was it the assistant servant, and then the Bible study servant. I but think anyway, it was before they got the other titles. Yeah, right. It was and always so, mainly three guys. It was mainly three key guys. No, it was always right. basically the three key guys in the congregation. Exactly, and it was those three key guys. So, <clears throat> so Dad was one of those three key guys, um, but he did not believe in disfellowshipping people. He just he didn't he he never he never wanted to do that, and so. You would get people in and they would, um, you know, they have those judicial committee meetings. And I guess it had to be a unanimous decision to disfellowship a person. Uh, all three of them had to unanimously agree. And dad would never agree. So he was always the holdout person. And so nobody could get disfellowshipped. And, uh, and so they didn't like that. And so uh, they took him off of that committee and made him like uh, the theocratic ministry school overseer or something, and so he was no longer he was no longer on the judicial committee, and uh, you know so he just he he didn't he would not disfellowship people. When they did that, then they began to try to figure out a way how can we disfellowship him, and so then they started trying to figure out ways, and uh, and they trumped up some charges on him, and they disfellowshiped my dad. He never went back to the Kingdom Hall after that. And uh, and when the circuit overseer came through, you know, they the circuit overseer would come through a couple of times a year. Right. So uh, the circuit overseer came through. And as he's going over the congregation records, he looks at this situation and it didn't seem right to him. And so he reached out to my dad and said, look, um, um, write a letter appealing that decision to disfellowship you. And I'll put together a special committee. And they can review this matter and see, you know, what what really was the deal. Well, dad was like, uh, you know, I'm not going to let people have that much control over my life anymore. If they want to disfellowship me, then I'm disfellowship. Who cares? I'm done. And uh, 
And so the circuit overseer put together uh, a special committee anyway, even though dad didn't write a letter appealing. And the the judicial committee, the special committee reached out to dad and said, hey, we'd like to meet with you. And dad is like, I'm not meeting with anybody else. That's it. I'm done. They ended up reversing the decision. They called it, they rescinded it. So they read a letter at the congregation saying that, that uh, you know, that decision has been rescinded. Everybody thought he got reinstated. Well, he didn't really get reinstated. It was rescinded. So it was almost like he was never disfellowshipped in the first place. But dad never went back a- after that. He was, you know, he might go to the memorial or something like that. And he did come to just before he died. I had become a ministerial servant and I gave my first instruction talk. And uh, he came and he heard me do my first instruction talk. And then he passed away a couple of months after that. But he never went back to the organization. Yeah, man, that 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 judicial committee, man, well, that, that that's a that's a serious group of guys. I mean, three men with that much power over people's lives. It's, it's, it's really sad. It's yeah. And really dad said never again. Yep. Never again. Is he going to let anybody have that, you know, much control over him? And see, he was a good man because he was like, why are we going to be disfellowshipping these people, changing their family lives and things like that? I think that these brothers get a kick out of doing that. I think they like making people's lives miserable. Oh, they like that power. Yeah. 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 They do. Wow. So your mom, so your dad, so sorry for your loss of your father's, you know, and I know that had to be devastating for you, um, especially having him there at your talk. And the next thing you know, he's gone. So how did things play out, um, you know, later on after you became this ministerial servant? What was it like being on the, you know, what was it like serving as a servant in the congregation? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, that was interesting because, you know, like I told you earlier, it, it, I had a, a, a miserable marriage and, uh, you know, it was it, it was a really, really bad marriage. So we we ended up being what they how did they? What do they say that you're uh, living a double life? You know how they always they talk about living a double life, yep. but it wasn't it wasn't a double life like uh, we were just sinning on the outside and then going you know and then going to the hall and pretending. What it was is we were pretending like we were happy, and so we would go to you know the meetings and you know smiling and you know with everybody and out in field service and all of these things you know. But then as soon as we get in the car and shut the door, then my wife is just, oh, just as mean and evil. You know, it, it was it was like this dark cloud over over me, you know, because we, we have to pretend in front of everybody. And then as soon as everybody was gone, it was like, it, you know, it's, it's hard to even describe how bad it was, you know, um, you know, so that that was I think that that's my experience. You know, I, I don't I guess I don't want to just talk about how bad that was. But I, I, I can tell you this. I remember, you know, like we would sometimes we'd have the the, uh, the book study over at our house, uh, you know. Uh, and so we'd have the book study and and everybody is there, the friends and they're, they're the friends <laughs> and they're, uh, you know, they're laughing and, you know, we're socializing and everything. And then they walk out the door. And as soon as my wife would close the door, she's like, get out of my face. I hate you. I hate you. You're a dog. You know, and, uh, you know, so it was like, it was like verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, you know, and I, I dealt with that for so long, you know, and then, then you go to the hall and you have to pretend and, you know, so th- th- that was difficult on me, but I still thought it was th- I still thought it was the truth. So I-, I went through all of these things. And then, like, my wife would go and complain to the elders and then the elders would come and counsel me, you know, and, you know, I I don't know. It- it's-, it's just re- it's really hard to explain how difficult that period of time was. But we you know, we did everything we were supposed to do as far as, you know, being witnesses were concerned. She was a pioneer. And, uh, you know, and then I became a ministerial servant and we started becoming, I guess, pretty popular in the circuit. You know, I started giving talks at the district. I mean, not at the district, but at the uh, circuit assemblies. And then they 
had me up in the administration area of the circuit assemblies. And, you know, so I was making progress, but, um, you know, but I wasn't happy with the progress that I was making. Let me ask you a question. And it's, it's really good that you're getting this off your chest, right? Because you, you probably haven't been able to express this to anybody since you've probably been gone, right? So right. this is probably pretty therapeutic for you, right? I, I guess it is. You know what I'm saying? I'm, but, but I'm I'm not going to start crying. But you know something like, how long did y'all date? You know, did you really get to know her before y'all got married? Because you know, how, like you said before, you got married young. You know what I mean? We so got when married you really young. think about it, did you did you get a chance to really know her before you got married? You know, I I guess well, we grew up in the same congregation. So, you know, we I you know, we knew each other like that. I think that the first uh red flag when when we were dating is we we had an argument about something and we were on the telephone and and she started arguing with me and she wouldn't stop. And so I put the phone down and she was still arguing and I came back about 15 minutes later and she was still arguing. And so I put the phone back down and did something else. Came back about 15 minutes later. She was still arguing. And uh, so I put the phone down and uh, came back about 15 minutes later and she was still arguing. I, I swear it was over 45 minutes, 15 minutes. I put the phone down, put it down, you know, and and she was still arguing. She never even knew that I wasn't even on the phone. And that should have been a red flag. And I should have known what I might be getting into. Um, but like I say, you know, when you're 17, 18, 19 years old and your hormones are going everywhere, you know, um, you just you put some of those kind of things out. But then when, once you get married, then you're stuck. And and as you know, one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you can't get a divorce unless somebody commits adultery. And so, um, and so you're stuck. And then they just tell you, you have to work things out and, and you got to study more. Are you having a family Bible study? Well, are you, do you pray with your wife? Do you, you know, and all of those kind of things, but it, those kind of things really didn't work, you know? No, that's true. And, and, and it's, it basically boils down to compatibility. Um, what you and your wife did is what so many witnesses do. We, we we value you know basically the image of being the happy we we see that book happy family life right and that's what every witness strives to be like every couple strives to be like the happy family life and you know you hear stories of husband beating their wives and stuff at home and they come to the kingdom hall and and they be, they be smile lovey dovey yeah in right. fact we, we, right. ladies and gentlemen we we used to like see people who they were like over lovey dovey, you know, I'm like, right. oh, be, like right. be at home when they get home, yeah, right. and, and, yeah. you know, yeah. wow. Well, I, I you know, it, I, I can tell you that and that was probably the, the darkest period of my life, um, you know, back in those days, and just you know, just to think of, of what I allowed myself to, to go through because I thought that the organization was the, uh, was the truth and that, you know, this was God's will, um, you know, but at, at a certain point I couldn't take it anymore. And, and so I did leave and that's when I got this fellowship. Um, and I can tell you some funny stories about that. I, I you know, when, uh, you know, when I got this fellowship, my mom, she wouldn't eat. Now, you know, there's, there's some witnesses where the, you know, the parents and stuff won't even speak to their kids at all. Yes. But, um, yeah, but she still spoke to me, but she wouldn't eat in, uh, in my presence. So if I was, if I was at her house for any reason and she was eating, she'd go in a different room and eat. Um, she would offer me food if she had food, but I couldn't eat it in front of her. I'd have to go someplace else. Um, but I remember, um, one of the, the things that was really tough, you know, um, my father passed away. I told you I was a ministerial servant and I had just given my, uh, given the instruction talk. So anyway, um, he passed away and it ended up with uh, some medical malpractice. And so we had to file a lawsuit against the hospital and the doctors and everything. And, uh, and you know, that takes a long time. It, it takes years, you know, to go through. But, um, so I guess, I was a ministerial servant for three years before I got this fellowship. 
And uh, and all during that time, we were going through litigation for this medical malpractice suit and we were getting close to a settlement. And so what mom said was, uh, you know, we've got three kids. So I got an older brother and a younger sister and me. So I'm the middle, uh, the middle child. Um, she said, OK, when we get the settlement, what we're going to what I'm going to do is I'm going to take half of it for myself. That's my mom. And she said, the, the, the other half, I'm going to divide that up, up, up between the three of you. And so I said, OK, you know, we, we all made that arrangement. So she would get 50 percent and then the three kids would get 50 percent split up. So um, in the meantime, I got this fellowship and uh, and we had the settlement shortly thereafter. And uh, and mom never said anything else about the money. And I happened to notice that she was getting a new roof on her house. And uh, and then I noticed that she was getting the landscaping done. And then then the house was getting painted and everything. And I'm like, I, I, I didn't know if the settlement had gone through or not. So I, I called uh, my brother. I said, uh, you know, mom is getting all this work done in, on the house. Uh, you know, has have we gotten the settlement? And Glenn was like, uh, yeah, she sent me she sent me the money about a month ago. And so then I called my sister and I said, did mom send you the money that she was talking about? And she said, Kyle, don't don't tell mom that I told you this, but she gave your money to your ex-wife. And I was like, I can't believe it. She took the inheritance from my dad who passed away and gave it to my ex-wife. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's I told you I was not going to start crying. Yeah, I understand, man. You got to be kidding me. That is amazing. So, so you know, wow. and actually what it was is she gave her half of it. And she told my sister, she said, well, I gave her half of it. And I'm probably going to give her the other half, too. Wow. So, um, so I, I talked to mom about that. And she went on ahead and gave me the money at that point after, you know. But just to think that she would take the money that my father left for us and give it to my ex-wife, that was that was difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah, we when 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 people are this fellowship, man, they get cut off at the knees. Uh inheritance. Uh for some, they end up giving all the money or the property to the society, man. They they give it to the society. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and so and and so. It's, it's all part of that witness mindset. You left Jehovah. And for all practical purposes, as we've been told by so many people over the years, their parents view them as literally not only spiritually dead, but literally as far as they're concerned, literally dead. I don't You're know. Dead you to me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so as a result, they they operate on those bases as if you don't even exist. Um, and that has got to be absolutely painful for your parents to to. I mean, we have people who they have told I you, I have I have two children. That's all I have. Right. Instead of three. I got and, two children. Right. Right. Wow. After hearing your testimony about how nasty she was to you, was she still talking to your mom? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. The, yeah. So that so your mom didn't see the real her. No, she never saw the real her. I tried to tell mom about it. And mom was like, uh, she can't be that bad. I mean, everybody, you just have to study more and you have to pray more. And and if you would quit that radio station, uh, you know, things would be better. And, you know, you know, the same stuff that all the witnesses get, you know, they tell you that stuff. So, um, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, we we are we are often accused of doing things in our lives that is hindering God's spirit in our home. And the watchtower will tell us what to point out. And so in your case, if you get rid of that job, then God's spirit could be on your family. And so it's always something like that. I mean, it, it, that's just the standard stuff. Well, I tell you. But it's me, terrible because yeah. it's, it's, really it's really bad because your wife was probably still pioneering when you guys split up. Yeah, yeah of course. So that title trumped her son. Right. So oh, she yeah. looks at oh, yeah. so she looks at this title that this woman has, and she's so impressed with that, that that kind of like takes over where her son is at, you know. Yeah, absolutely. She gets that, that, that yeah. 
That's the, the, the title. The, the title is the same title your mom has, so your mom knows I'm a self-sacrificing person. I know this girl must be self sac And so you can see my son. He down with the world of folks playing that. You know that that that, that music. <laughs> <laughs> so oh I, let me tell you what I did. This you know, and I I think back on some of the things that I did. You know, just trying to be a good person. I guess I don't know, but I knew at a certain point that I was going to have to leave you know, um, that marriage, I, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. It was, it was too difficult, you know, um, on me. And so I knew I was going to have to leave. So what I did is I took on a, a extra part-time job so that I could have a little bit of money and, and buy her a car so that when I left, she'd still have transportation and still be able to pioneer. And, and even though I was going to leave, I, I was still going to pay the rent at our house so that she would have some place to stay so she would be okay so you know so i started working extra and i got her a car and i got it all you know i did all of that but while i'm doing that the elders are like why are you working another job you're just materialistic you just you know money is not this and money, you know and you, you know you need to be doing more in the organization and it went, but they didn't know what the reason that i was doing all that kind of stuff but um you know, and and I bought her a car and I paid her rent for uh, a while until until I found out that she was dating somebody else. And so then, you know, I stopped paying her rent at that point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. See, 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 you, see, you were see, you was a good man. There's some folks who are going to be watching this video and they're going to be like, see, she was lucky it won't mean because, see, I'll be on the radio every day. I got this no good woman at the house. <laughs> And I'm, like, I'm telling all Detroit, I was about you, girl. Yeah. I, you know, I think if I had it to do over again, I don't think I would have paid her rent for, for nah, a year or whatever. Yeah, it was I, like, you know. I, I, I can this imagine. religion really gives you yeah. tunnel vision. Yeah, and you're you're so busy trying to show people that you're this, you know, you, you, you are a good person. But you're trying to show people, look, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. Look what I'm doing over here. They don't but care about that. No, no. Once I was just fellowship, that was it. You know, I got cut off of everything. And, you know, I, I tell some funny stories, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and I can tell people this that are that are not witnesses and they don't see it as funny as I do now. But, you know, I remember, oh, you know, being over at my mother's house and uh, and some of the witnesses came over um, and they're like, hi, Sister Pearson. Hi, Sister. You know, they just, you know, everybody's coming up saying hi to Sister Pearson and I'm there and uh and then, you know, they get to me and they can't say anything to me when they look down and they see the dog and they're like, hi, Poochie, how are you? You know, so they, they'll speak to the dog and won't the speak dog, to me. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know, so. Um, yeah. And Kyle, remember when you yeah. said that your mother would, would still talk to you when you were disfellowship, but she wouldn't um, wouldn't eat in front of wouldn't you? Eat, because you because that's that scripture that says not even eating with such a man. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That is but, crazy. But, but think about leaving everything and not having anything at all you know when i when i did leave i had to stay i, I stayed in a in a motel for about a week until the apartment that i was going to rent you know was open and when i got the apartment i remember i had a bed like a uh, a bed and a dresser and everything delivered and uh and so i had a bed but i didn't really i didn't have anything else and so um you know i didn't have any plates or nothing. So I went and got some Chinese food one night after work and I went home to eat and I didn't have any chairs. So I just had to eat on the bed and I got in the bed and I got ready to, to eat my Chinese food. And I realized I didn't have a spoon or a fork or a plate or anything. And so I got this thing of Chinese food, but you know, unless I was going to eat it with my fingers, you know, so I went back to the Chinese restaurant and I said, uh, I said, do you have any silverware or plates or anything? So they gave me one, um, they gave me one paper plate, one of them little flimsy paper plates oh, and a fork. And so then I went back and I, I was able to eat, you know, and uh, I, I did that and I spilled some rice on the floor. So I went to sweep it up, but I didn't have a broom or dustpan. So I was like, oh, shoot, now I got to try to scrape this up. You know, it, it, it's just amazing. You don't have anything. Everything is completely gone. So, uh, so, you know, uh, a person that I worked with, they said, uh, well, you know, just have a housewarming party and, and then people will bring you dishes and, and toasters and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, 
I don't, nobody's going to come to my house. Nobody's going to come to a housewarming party. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, no. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, because they didn't realize you didn't have no friends at that point, right? Gone. All, All my friends were gone. gone. <laughs> oh yeah. my God, that yeah. is so that's so yeah. devastating. And and, and, you, and you're right for for people for people who are not Jehovah's Witnesses, they cannot they can't wrap their head around no. what it's like to be in yeah. a high control group. They because yeah. you will be telling them things that they literally have no reference point. They, no. they just there's there's no reference point. I've never seen nothing like this before, man. What are you talking about? And 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 that's what makes it so important that. There's a place for people who lead this organization to come to. And that's what we try to do here at, at Critical Thinkers is provide a place where people can come to and hear people express themselves. And you realize it's not just me. It's right. not just me. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and, that, and that's funny. That's why I reached out, you know, because, you know, I've been watching your, your programs for a while now. And, uh, and I don't know, something just moved me one day to say, you know, let me reach out and just send them an email. I didn't even expect to hear back from you guys. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, you start wondering, you know, do I have a story to tell? Should I even tell my story? You know, but if, if this can help people because they may be able to relate to it because they've gone through some things similar to that, you know, uh, that's fantastic. I was just thinking about, um, there was a there was a, a a sister at our congregation. This was when I was a ministerial servant, uh, and I remember we had this big snowstorm, and it was on a Saturday night. This you know we must have gotten six, seven, eight inches of snow, and uh, and so then that Sunday morning, that was on Saturday night. So Sunday morning we're going to the kingdom hall, and um, and I'm driving past this sister that was disfellowshipped. Um, she had just gotten disfellowshipped and. She's walking to the kingdom hall and you couldn't even walk on the sidewalk because it was so much snow. So she's walking in the street. And I remember going past and I saw her and I looked, you know, my wife and I, we looked and we kept on going to the kingdom hall and I felt bad. I was like, man, she's walking in all of this snow, you know, and it's cold outside. So I went up to one of the elders and I said, look, I saw sister so-and-so uh, walking I left her there and I feel really, really bad. I want to go back and get her. And he was like, let her walk in the snow. She's worse than a person without faith. She can get here on her own. And, you know, and I, I didn't feel so good about that, but I, I didn't go back and get her. And she had to walk to the kingdom hall and all that snow. She got there about 20 minutes after the meeting started. And, uh, and then, and she was all full of snow and everything. And then when the meeting was over, she took off walking back and I saw her walking back home, you know, but that's the way they do people. And it's, it's just not right, you know, and, and I feel bad. And, and interestingly, that happened way back in the 80s, late 80s. And, uh, and in 2012, when my mom passed away, and this was the last time I've even been inside of a kingdom hall, but we had her memorial service. And, uh, and at that memorial service, I saw the sister that that I left in the snow. And, and I walked up to her and I said, you know what? I owe you an apology from probably 20 years ago. And she said, what? I said, I saw you walking in that snowstorm. And I, and I left you there walking and I feel really bad about that. And I, and I want to apologize. And she was like, you don't have to apologize to me. I was disfellowshipped, you know, but that was not right. Yeah, that as a, as a witness, you accept being disfellowshipped and being spit on. Mm -hmm. um, I, I remember we had a circuit overseer that asked the same question about a very simple scenario. He asked the friends in the congregation, if you saw someone walking or in the rain, should you stop and pick them up? He said, by a show, and he said, by a show of hands, how, how and 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 you could see the friends were like, oh, they didn't know, oh, they didn't know what I should get right, right. Oh no, maybe not. Right. This. And right. he was like, you can help, you can pick the woman up. She's coming to the kingdom hall. You ain't got to sit there and talk to her about you know First Peter and chapter four and all that kind of stuff. But you right. can pick the person up. And and what that means is that goes to what the scripture says that there will be people who have no fellow feeling. And as witnesses, we used to read it all the time, and we used to apply it to those in the world. 
But if you want to see a group of people who have no fellow feeling, watch <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses when it comes to someone who's this fellowship. They will leave you out to dry. And I mean, right. and he just gave a couple of different scenarios. If you saw a person in this fellowship drowning, should you throw a life wreck? And once again, man, the friends, oh, they don't know. Right? And they'll be resurrected. Yeah. Maybe Jehovah, you know. And, and, and so, and he just went around and just got, and, and you could, and, and I remember when he did it that night, I was like, that's a shame, man. Folks don't even know what to do. They, every witness has to be told what they can and, and cannot do. do. They have to be told. They can't yeah. think for themselves. They can't. But, you, but do you know how strong the disfellowshipping is that, you know, since we've had our channel, we had people. Now, you know, we're on a channel, Critical Thinkers, talking and telling people to examine the teachings. Right. Use critical thinking, examine these teachings, y'all. And we're telling people how wrong the watchtower is. Right. So we get people all the time that will email us and say, I'm just fellowship, so I don't know if you can talk to me or not. Oh God! Yeah. And we're and we're like and we're like people yeah. who are telling we're like activists yeah. telling people to wake up, and they're still so strongly in this religion that they're still thinking that I'm just fellowship. So I don't know if you're gonna call me back. I don't know if you're gonna email me back, but I am just yeah. fellowship. Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's amazing. It is. Now let mm -hmm. me ask you this because this is this is the question that we always want people to share. When did you begin to realize this was not because because I've noticed throughout I, throughout all the stuff you've gone through, marriage, dealing with the friends, dealing with the congregation, all of a sudden you quit your job. You kept you repeatedly kept saying, you know, I, I thought it was the truth. I thought it was the truth. That's why I kept going. At what point did you realize this is crazy? I got to get out of here. Believe it or not, it was after I got reinstated. So, you know, I, I you know, I got this fellowship. Right. And so. um you know, I uh, I married a young lady that I've been married to for 30 years now. Beautiful young lady. She was worldly. Oh, my God. It can't work. She's worldly. You know, and, and the, you know, the witnesses, they tried to study with her and everything to bring her in. That's normally the way the witnesses do. If if you go and you marry somebody that's not in the organization, then the witnesses try to bring that person in, you know. But and so that's what they try to do, do with my wife now. But uh, she wasn't having it. She She studied for a little bit. Um, but here's when I began to, to this, something is not right. No, I, I knew it wasn't right in the first place, but when I got reinstated, I found that people treated me just as bad, if not worse, when I got reinstated than they did when I was disfellowship. So, um, you know, like I said, we were pretty prominent in our congregation and even in our circuit, you know, because I was giving talks and she was a pioneer and always had parts on the on the uh uh the, the circuit circuit assembly and things like that so um so when i got reinstated people were still angry about me because uh, at me because i left my wife so they felt that i did her wrong they didn't know the backstory and the way you know that miserable marriage went um so they were still angry at me so you know they would speak but they would speak to me in disgust Oh, hi, you know, and they would turn and they'd walk away. And, you know, and um, and I remember going to a district convention and, uh, you know, at the district convention, a lot of times, you know, because you had a big stadium like the Silverdome, that's where we used to be all the time. And uh, and so like a lot of people would have a certain section that they would sit in. And I think the section that uh, a lot of our friends, friends. Uh, would sit in with section 122, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I went and sat down in that section. Now, when I was disfellowship, by the way, I was so embarrassed that instead of sitting down there in, in section 122, I went way up in the balcony as far away from everybody as I could could go so that I didn't have to see anybody because I was embarrassed, right? I'm disfellowship. So anyway, after I got reinstated, I went back down there to section 122 where everybody else was. And, you know, I'm speaking to everybody and, you know, people, you know, they, they would speak to me, whatever. Um, but I sat down next to uh, a group of uh, witnesses. And once I got situated, they looked at me and they packed up all their stuff and went and sat someplace else. So they didn't even want to sit next to me. Wow. Um, you know, and then, you know, uh, like I've got a little beard here. So, um, you know, witnesses can't have beards for whatever reason. Um, 
And so I, you know, I had a beard. It was it was darker than it is now. It's it's gray now. <laughs> but <laughs> back years ago, it was dark. It was black. <laughs> it was black then, right? And uh, and I remember this one guy saying, "So how long you think you're going to be able to get away with that?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about? That that how long you think you can get away with that?" <laughs> you know? And I'm like, uh, I, "I really don't see anything wrong with it. You know, you're not supposed to have a beard." And I said, well, explain to me why I'm not supposed to have a beard. Oh, you know why. Don't act like you don't know why. You know why you're not supposed to have a beard. You know, I so, love it, man. So, so those are the kind of attitudes that I had. And then I had this one elder come up to me and said, are you going to cut that beard off? And, uh, and I said, well, I don't think so. Why? Because it's ugly. You look ugly. That's an ugly. It's just ugly. You want to walk around and look ugly? Then go right ahead. You know, so it was just those attitudes. This was after I was reinstated. You know, so I'm, I'm expecting people to welcome me back in and that didn't happen. And so I, you know, I just started, I, I you know, it was like, there's no reason for me to continue to go. I'm not going to continue to, to, you know, be bothered with this. And, and then that's when I began to start really questioning even any of the teachings that they, yep. you know, because they, I mean, when you, when you can think for yourself, you realize how ridiculous the teachings are. They're, yes, they're just ridiculous teachings. And, you know, and you just go along with it and you're told not to think for yourself. And you're supposed to let these men tell you everything. And, you know, so that's when I just, you know, I'm, I'm done, you know. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that, that that's amazing. One of the things that people realize when they get reinstated, the vast majority of people who are reinstated, they do not get that prodigal son welcoming homecoming. no no not they at do all. not experience that not they do not experience all. as much as i hate to say this and i gotta say it <clears throat> because the way they teach you at the kingdom <clears throat> hall um when somebody gets reinstated you're still a little scared of them right um you're kind of scared because you know they they ventured out and they went out there and so you're looking at them like what if they have a relapse you know you're kind of scared you know because because that's the culture Right. Of yes. the religion. Yes, it is. And yeah. so that that I think that's how I was growing up, you know, was yeah. if somebody got this fellowship. It's like, oh, my God. Right. Even when oh they God. get reinstated, you you, yeah. you want yeah, you're a little yeah. scared. Yeah. You're a little scared yeah. of them. Yeah. You know? And, 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 a lot and of they, they gave talks about that. Yeah, they did. And mm -hmm. and plus also the way the rules were. See, with on the, in the prodigal son, when he came back, everybody welcomed him back. Right. For as long as I could remember, you were taught, do not clap when they make the announcement that the right. person is reinstated. Right, do not so clap. they would make the announcement, and at that point, you just, like you said, you just look at the person with disgust, like, mm, we just let you back in, and you better get yourself together. And, right. and now so, what are you going to do now? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. And so it wasn't until just a few years ago that the society come out and tell Jehovah's Witnesses, if someone is reinstated, you can clap now. And oh, I they can think, clap now. They have yeah, permission. You can clap now. Yeah. And what's so amazing is the Jehovah's Witness who were told they could clap, they are actually happy. They're happy that they now have been allowed. They can, they're the allowed to clap. To clap, which means they missed the whole point. You don't, you didn't get it. Don't you get it? They told you to do something they should have never told you to do. In the first but the witness is so conditioned. He actually rejoices. It's, it's like it's like a, it's like when someone is beating you, you know, and 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 now they they they're gonna stop. And now you're you, you're saying you know you're happy that they stayed that they should never beat you to start with. In the first place. Yeah. In the first place. And and so that's the way the mindset is in this organization. I mean, people they they are they do as an elder man. That was my number. One question as an elder. Can we do that? Is that okay? That was <laughs> I, mean, I got that question more than any other question. Can and we do we, this? Can we do that? The yes, sisters right. would call me on the phone and say and ask yeah. your husband, can we do this? Can we yeah. do that? And everything. It, it drove me crazy. I, yeah. I remember when my father passed away. Um, you know, like I said, I was a ministerial servant at the time he passed away, and there was another couple that uh they came to the they came to the funeral. Um, yeah, they came to my father's funeral, and uh, and then about a week or so later, they got this fellowship, the couple, and 
you know how at, after you know you go to a funeral, then the uh, then the family fills out those cards and sends them off to thank people for you know coming to the what you, you know the yep, the funeral yep. home gives oh, yeah. you a whole bunch of those they cards. Get a whole bunch of them. Yep, they sure do. Yeah, right. And you just fill them out. And I remember asking the elders, "Can I send them a thank you card for coming because they had just gotten this fellowship?" I mean, you at, it's like you can't think for yourself. You have to ask Children. everything. So Children. I had to ask. You know, could I send them a thank you card for coming and paying respects to my father? You know, and uh, and I remember what the elders told me. This is really crazy. He said, aren't those cards already pre-filled out from the uh, from the funeral home? And I said, yeah. He said, well, yeah, you can send them one. Just don't put anything on it. Just, you know, just send it as it is, you know, and, and it's generic. So you can just do that. So, you know, so then I didn't get to put down you know, thank you personally. I didn't get to put a personal note down. It was just like whatever the generic card said. So, you know, it, that's just the mentality of, of, of the witnesses. When you think about how many people live in Detroit and the little bit of people you had to deal with at the Kingdom Hall, you were swearing down, your, your whole world was so small, you yeah. know? And yeah. all of the loving people that you probably live next door to and work with and just went to school with and just would never even think to treat you like that. No, they would never. You know what I mean? And that's how, and that's how, um, how we were so conditioned to think that we were the only people in town. Cause when we first left, I'm not going to lie. We first left the first district convention we stopped going to. I felt like we were the only people in Alexandria, Virginia, cause we were living in Virginia at the time. Right. And I felt like, I mean, what if, what if we, what if something happens to us, JT? And um, you know, we we get sick or something, we gotta go to the hospital. Who's gonna be there for us? Because I felt like, well, we, we were the only people in town. Right. Because our congregation had gone to the convention right. and they had gone like about two hours away, and we did not and go there. They're just there, right? No, no, we have nobody. Yeah. <laughs> we have nobody, and that's how they make you feel. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's crazy. How about your siblings? Did they uh, become Jehovah's Witnesses and, you know, well, participate in all that craziness? Yeah, my older brother, he uh, he had gotten disfellowshipped uh, years before I did, and he never got reinstated. And, you know, and I, I felt bad at one point because when he, you know, he got remarried, and that was while I was still, you know, a witness. And my mom didn't go to his wedding, and he asked me, to be his best man at his wedding. And I'm like, you're disfellowshipped. I'm not coming to your wedding, you know? And, you know, so I was caught up in that, that whole mindset too. And, you know, and that he's another person that I, I've apologized to for the way I treated him when he was disfellowshipped. I mean, you know, well, he still is, but you know, before I woke up, you know, the way I, I treated him, I just, I went along with the program, you know? So, uh, you know, and then, and then my younger sister, I don't think she's this fellowship, but she, uh, you know, she stopped going to the to the meetings once she was able to leave the house. So she never even really stayed active in the uh, organization. Did that did that um, change your um, relationship with your brother when you finally woke up to the truth about the truth? Did you get a chance to reunite with your brother? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and we never stopped talking. It's just it was just one of those things where. We didn't, you know, <laughs> fellowship, I guess it would be the word for it. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, but since then, yeah, absolutely. And so did you did you wake up on this side of the uh 21st century or on the other side? <laughs> did, were you were you like in the year 2000 waking up or were you like in the 1990s? Oh, in up? the 90s, yeah. Yeah. It okay. has to yeah, pretty close to 30 years now since I've been, you know, uh part of that religion. And, you know, and it's interesting, you, you think about 30 years, that's decades. And even decades later, it still has this, you know, this effect on you and you still think about it. And it's, you know, it, it's just, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, just, you know, how deep it, how deep it is, but, you know, it's not like it's just something you walk away from and you're, and you're done. It seems like it haunts you for decades. It's ridiculous. Would you consider it to be like being in prison? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely like being in prison. 
Well, I can tell you this. I can tell you that that marriage was like me being in prison. It was like, that was like I was in prison, even more so than the organization itself. But then that's what kept me in the marriage. So I guess if you look at the whole thing, yeah, it's just like you're in prison. You can't get out. You know, it, I, I'll tell you how bad this, the marriage was. And I, I you know, and I don't want to keep talking about that marriage, but it was, it was like the worst experience of my life. But it was, it had gotten to the point, and this is when I knew I had to leave her is, you know, she was a pioneer. And I remember when she would leave to go out in field service or leave to do whatever, in the back of my mind, I would be like, you know, it would be nice if something happened and I got a phone call and they said, you know, hey, there's been a terrible tragedy. We need you to, you know, and when I started feeling like that, I knew that I had to go. I, I can't stay in this situation because I can't wish something bad upon another person, but I'm in torment right now. I've, I've got to go. So, you know, so those were some of the struggles that, you know, that I had, it, you know? Um, so yeah, it was like being in prison. Definitely. And you know, something too, you probably could not talk to a therapist either. And, and, and your wife probably wouldn't have, your ex-wife probably wouldn't even agree to that because we didn't, no, the therapists were the elders. Right. The, th those are the only therapists you need, the elders. Exactly. And then they and they have the scriptures that they're going to give you. And exactly. You, you know, and I mean, and JT, you had the script, so you you knew what you were supposed to say to them. <laughs> you know what you're supposed to say. Yeah. It's amazing what people go through in um, you know, the, the watchtower, just being a Jehovah's Witness, then you're married to the wrong person, then, like you mentioned. You can't get a divorce unless somebody does something wrong, and then you feel like you're you know you're 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 just stuck with this yeah. person. Yeah, you know, boy, that's terrible. So, is there any any other takeaways you'd like to share with our audience before we <laughs> end our discussion? Well, you know, I'm just hoping that that you know some of the things that I said, and like, like I said, I didn't want to get like really really deep, and I only only started crying. Well, I didn't start crying, but I almost cried twice right <laughs> but uh you know i think that if if some of the things that i said and some of the things that i went through and just expressed uh can help somebody else that might be going through some of the same kinds of things um you know i, I think that i've done my job <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm happy with that i think that the work that you guys are doing is just fantastic i really appreciate just the fact that um that you you know are taking your platform to help other people, other witnesses, because a lot of times witnesses that, you know, they may be stuck and they just don't think that they have anybody to support them if they leave. There, there are a lot of, they, I guess they call them PMOs now, um, physically in, but mentally out. There are a lot of witnesses like that. And I'm sure that there are a lot of witnesses that actually look at your channel, even though they're not supposed to, um, because they, you know, they need some type of an outlet. They need you, you know, they need something. So if my story kind of helps some people, then then fantastic. I, I appreciate that. And for the, the few people that are still witnesses that know me, they may never speak to me again. I don't know. But that's just, you know, the way it might have to be. Yeah, you might you might be you might find that you may be helping them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If, if, yeah. If people can actually hear you pour your heart out, hear your story, the story that they could not listen to because they couldn't hear talk you out. Yeah, right. You. So yeah. now it's like they're in the privacy of their own home. They pulled up a video, you know, and now they're listening to what you're saying. They could have wondered what happened. Now they're hearing the other side. Yeah. Yep. You know, that's for sure. Cause did your ex-wife, did she ever remarry? She did. Yeah. Okay. She, she remarried and moved out of state. So, you know, and I, I hope that she's happy. And Lord, I hope her husband is happy. Oh my God! <laughs> so, so look, so you, so so you said so you said she moved out of state. So has there has there been any sightings of her from anybody? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> or you or know, do you think she could be tied up in a Brooklyn basement somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. She wouldn't be tied up. She might have her husband tied up. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he might have got tired of her. <laughs> <laughs> oh my no, God. I, I, you know, I I think you know her, uh, her parents passed away, uh, and 
I think that was the last time she came that I know of to, to town. I know she's still got like brothers and sisters here. Um, interestingly, her, um, you know, everybody that was a witness in her, on her side of the family, even after I got reinstated were really, really mean to me. But, but the, but the part of her family that were not witnesses, they, they were nice to me all along. They embraced me even, you know, when we first got divorced, you know, so it, it's just, it's, it seems like it's exactly the opposite. So even, you know, so the ones that were not witnesses were the ones that, that treated me the best. Yeah. They don't have the baggage of a witness who knows I got to do this because I'm going to lose my relationship with God. There's nobody right. on her non-witness family who thinks in terms, if I talk to you, God's gonna get me. That that that, <laughs> right. that, that is not. That's not. Well, no, it. her non-witness family probably knew the real deal that everybody else was trying to ignore. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Oh my goodness! Okay. Excellent story. Just yeah, very touching. Yeah. Just a very touching story. Well, we thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on the program to tell your, to share your story with our audience. Yeah. Appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I didn't I didn't expect to hear from you guys. I was really surprised when I when I got that uh, voicemail. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you for bringing Detroit back to my home via All right. radio. I appreciate that. <laughs> All <laughs> right. You guys take, take care. care. All right. Bye bye. We'll see you. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay. Now. Bye bye. We want to thank you for being in our audience today, and as always, we appreciate your support, and we'll see you on the next episode. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.